Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I would like to uh, invite you to open God's Word to Isaiah chapter 49. Appreciate that word from uh, Kevin Ezel. You know, I led a discipleship group when I was at Union University of about five or six guys, and he was one of them. And it's so exciting to see Kevin uh, in the role that God has uh, given to him as he uh, encourages our nation to reach out with the gospel and make disciples all across America. I hope you're enjoying your spring break. I know the Lord's got some good things ahead for you and your family as you uh, sort of go through a change in your schedule. You want to make sure that you check with the, the bulletin this week. We have some changes coming up in our schedule so that you can have more time with your family, have more free time and so forth. So uh, just make sure you check that out. I was asking the Lord to show me what message he has for us. And I feel very strongly and clearly that he led me to this passage. So I just know that God's got someone's name for this message. I don't know who that might be. It may be a cluster of people, but I just know for certain that when I read Isaiah 49 and verse 14, it says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. I felt like the Lord said, that is what I want to say to my people on Sunday morning. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that God himself had forgotten you? You know, God overheard his people saying that in verse 14. If you look in verse 13, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. They were supposed to be singing with gladness. But here they were oh, sighing with sadness. Grief had filled their hearts as they thought, maybe God has forgotten about me. Is that the way you feel today? You know, it, it's interesting how from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, where we started this series, all the way to where we are now at the midpoint of chapter 49, 10 chapters, nine and a half chapters, the Lord has heaped promise upon promise in an attempt to reassure his people to win their trust, but it's like it was all to no avail. Because verse 14 says they just remained dispirited. They remained unbelieving. And here's why. They looked around them and they said, evil still winning. They looked around them and they thought, you know what? I see people who are going through painful losses in their lives. They looked around and said, I see people going through disappointment. And so they felt abandoned by God. They felt forgotten by God. Now it is true that we sometimes as humans, we forget. You know, uh, this weekend, I thought I would wash my car. I would vacuum it out. It is clean, uh, spring break. So I uh, got, got after it and I looked in the console and you won't believe it. I found an envelope in there with 80 bucks. And I'm like, what? I forgot about this. Not only that, but I found my watch. You should be thanking God I found my watch. But anyway, I'd lost it. And I thought, man, I forgot where I put it, I guess. And I forgot all about that money. Now, if you're a bad guy, don't bother breaking in my car. I've already got all the goods out of there, okay? It's clean now, so there's nothing in there. 
But I ran across a book entitled The Forgotten Man of Christmas. And it was talking about New Testament Joseph. You know, there's a certain point where it's like he just drops off the radar biblically and we don't hear any more about him. But if I were to say, suggest to you who in Scripture seems like they were forgotten, I would say not New Testament Joseph, but Old Testament Joseph. Do you remember what he went through? Do you remember in Genesis 40 how he interprets the dreams of a couple of men? One was the chief cupbearer for the king and the other was the chief baker. And they all three were in prison. Joseph was in prison, the baker and the cupbearer. So he tells them the interpretation of the dream. And they're like, wow, you, this is amazing that you've heard from God. And he said, just don't forget me, okay? Well, it says in Genesis 40, verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, I'm not here to tell you if you've ever been forgotten or forsaken, if you've been betrayed, somebody's left you, somebody you thought was a friend, no longer is a friend. I'm not here to say it's, the pain isn't real. The pain is real. But here's what I want to just lay across your heart this morning. Don't take the pain that some human has caused in your life and transfer that toward God. Because God is the most loyal friend you've ever had in your whole entire life. God is for you. He is not against you. He has not forgotten you. You know, as a matter of fact, if you were to read Genesis 39, the chapter right before Joseph experienced all of that, it says four times the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Even at the end of his life, he said, you know what? He's speaking to his brothers and they had done all these bad things. And he said, you meant it for evil. But God had another plan. God meant it for good. I want you to look with me at Isaiah chapter 49, beginning with verse 14 and going down to the end of this chapter. I want you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Please stand and I want you to listen to how valuable you are to God. You are very precious to him and he has not forgotten you. I want to let him tell you himself. Listen as we read from verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste, your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, and he gets interrupted and says, surely now you'll be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away the children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. 
And then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? And thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. And then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Let's go to the father in prayer. Lord, I thank you for how real you are. You're very personal. And perhaps there's one, perhaps there's more than one but somebody that needs to hear this message, they're feeling that you have forgotten about them. And I believe that today you're going to reinforce the truth, the reality that you have not forgotten them, that they are on your heart continually. And so I pray that God, you would refresh us in the truths this spring break of how very precious that each one is in this room, how very precious we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. You know, the Bible says, but God remembered Noah. It also says in chapter 19 of Genesis, but God remembered Abraham. It says in Genesis 30, 22, God remembered Rachel. And I want you to know today, God remembers you. He knows you. So we're gonna look at this passage and we're going to see some of the ways that God proves that he knows us and he remembers us and has not forgotten us. Let me begin with verse 14. Would you look at that verse closely? Would you agree with me that there is a big difference in being forgotten by the Lord and in feeling forgotten by the Lord? You see, one has to do with reality the other one has to do with emotions. David said in Psalm 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Was that true? Was God going to forget David forever? No, but it was the way he felt. It was very real for him. The sons of Korah wrote in Psalm 42, verses 9 and 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? It goes on to say, my adversaries say to me all the day long, where is your God? Is that true that God had forgotten the sons of Korah? Asaph wrote in Psalm 77, 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? 
Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Is that the way God is? Is that the way he operates then, today, anytime? There's a theologian named Moyer who said, Zion would have been better employed in exercising her own memory than in accusing the Lord of losing his. I agree with that. I want you to look at that passage. The Lord has forsaken me. That word forsaken means outward abandonment. It means he left the room. He's no longer there. That's what forsaken me. Is that your image of God today? When he says, I'm a very present help in time of trouble. But then the word forgotten doesn't mean outward abandonment, but I think it would mean inward detachment. Inwardly, when you forget somebody, it's something on the inside, not something on the outside. And I'm thinking to myself, is that God? No, that's not God. You know what that is? Those are feelings. Feelings. They were feeling the Lord had forgotten them. Maybe you are feeling forgotten by the Lord today. But I just want you to know that really it's the other way around. You know, Gideon, when he passed away, he was like one of those heroes in the book of Judges. He was a, he was a judge. God used him mightily. But it says when he died, the next generation, they did not remember the Lord. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, 1, we really need to remember our creator in the days of our youth because the evil days come and the years draw near of whom you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Life's hard as you get older. So, so go ahead and set the compass now to follow Christ all your days. Don't wait like Jonah Jonah chapter two, verse seven, when he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Remember him now, not when you get in a pickle and you're saying, I think I'm not gonna make it. Well, let's move from the feeling that the Lord has forgotten about you to the facts about the Lord. Has he forgotten you? Let's look at the second clue that we're given in verse 15. You know, if you want to know the truth, the best way to get it is not social media. Best way to get it is not asking somebody else. The best way is go to the source. Ask them yourself and let them tell you their answer. So why don't we let God answer this? God says in verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget yet I will not forget you. There comes truth. That's a fact. That's God speaking directly into our hearts. And it's not based on emotion. It's based on something objective that we have in the word of God. You know, there's actually three different facts that I see in this one verse. Fact number one is the illustration of unparalleled love. If you were going to pick the ultimate model of devotion. I mean, undying, unchanging love. What would you pick? <clears throat> a man and his dog. No, that's not right. You would pick, I'm sure, a nursing mother. A nursing mother. You know, a nursing mother carries her infant everywhere she goes. The infant is constantly on her mind. And so it's unnatural 
for her to forget. Wouldn't you agree that that has to be the greatest example of love that we have on this planet? But while that is a fact, there's a second fact, and God acknowledges that it exists. Look at the second fact. There are instances of unusual leaving. It says, even these mothers may forget. God knows that it happens. And we don't always know why they forgot. Maybe it was selfishness. Maybe they felt pressured. Maybe it was mental illness. Maybe it was some kind of addiction. But it's non-natural, but it happens. It's real. It's a fact. You know, if that were to ever happen to you, to a friend that you know, to someone you love, I just want to remind you of something. There's so many families that would love to raise that baby. So if you feel, I can't raise this baby, then would you make a loving decision? The name of the adoption agency we used in Japan was called Loving Decisions. Would you make a loving decision and say, I'm going to entrust this little one to someone who will love it, someone who will be able to raise it. And it's a noble thing to take a child who has no family and to say, I will bring you into mine. That's fact number two. It does happen. Sometimes a mother will forget. But fact number three is one of those things that we, even if you haven't experienced this in your life, don't write it off because God is not like anybody you've ever known in your life. He's very unique. The invariability, invariability of unending, unlimited loyalty. You and I cannot begin to imagine how loyal God is to us. He is incredibly loyal. He says, yet I will not forget you. Boy, just rest easy at night. Just have peace in your heart because God says to you this morning, I'll not forget you. I will have you on my mind. You know, look at Isaiah 54 verse 10. It's not far. If you just kind of fast forward a little bit, Isaiah 54 Verse 10, I memorized this verse when I was at Union. You know, sometimes college students can feel, I don't know, maybe forgotten. But Isaiah 54.10 is a verse that I found as a college student, and I put it right there on my bookshelf above my desk. And here's what it says. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. See, regardless of what you've been through and all the disappointments and all the things that have just fallen away and cratered in life, God says, I won't be one of them. I will be here when you come back. Let's go to the third thing. <clears throat> Since assurance of God's love is so foundational, Next, the father demonstrates the opposite of forgetfulness. What would be the opposite of forgetfulness? I don't know what you would say there, but I would say it would be like familiarity. Is God familiar with you? Remember, he said he knows the hairs on your head. Well, don't forget the context. They're in exile. They're suffering from their own bad decisions. 
They were saying, we're forsaken and we're forgotten. So it wasn't a pretty picture. You know, it never is. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you know that when you were at your lowest point, when you were rebelling and resisting, God still said, you know, I love you so much. Here's the way I'm going to prove it. I'm going to lay down my life for you. You know, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One thief was pouring out venom and bitterness and so forth, and anger. But the other thief said, you know what? We got ourselves into this. There he is hanging on a cross. And he says, we are getting what we deserve. But he hasn't done anything. He has done nothing wrong. And then you won't believe what that thief said to Jesus. He said this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Will God remember you? Does God even know you? Let me tell you some things about his remembrance. The first thing I see in verse 16 is, oh yeah, it's a permanent remembrance. Behold, I have engraved you. Engrave. The word there means to cut. I'm not going to say God has a tattoo, okay? I can't go there. That's not me. I'm not going to do it. But all I'm saying is, he's saying, I've cut myself with your name. I have engraved, etched your name. You know what he's trying to say? It's there permanently. Your name is there permanently. But I'll tell you something else I think is really, really exciting is when you consider not only is it permanent, his remembrance is personal. Behold, I've engraved you, you on the palm of my hand. Isn't that exciting? Remember when Jesus was comparing himself to a shepherd and he said, you know what a shepherd does? He calls each one of his sheep by name. You got any pets around your place? Did you name them? Do you know who they are? Can you call their name? You know, God looks at us and he can call everybody's name. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God looks at the stars and God's already got all the stars named. If he can name the stars, I guarantee you he remembers your name. Have you ever, you know, seen somebody you haven't seen in a while and you're thinking, I cannot remember your name. <laughs> that happens to us. It doesn't happen to God. Why? Oh, he's got it written down. Permanent remembrance, personal remembrance, but also preeminent remembrance. Have you ever heard anybody say, I know that place like the back of my hand. What about the palm of your hand? You know, most of the scholars I read said it's, a, it's like an indication that God is saying, I am intimately acquainted with you. Because maybe people see the, palm, the back of your hand, but the palm of your hand, they might not see unless you show it to them. The palm of your hand is intimacy and immediacy. I think it's priority. That's how much you're remembered before God. He said, I want you right there so I can remember exactly all about you. But then that, that last part was kind of a puzzle to me until I studied more and more this week getting ready for it. And then I understood. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your walls are continually before me. The walls of Jerusalem. 
You'll recall that Nehemiah went sometime later than where we are in Isaiah. Sometime later, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and were the walls standing continually before Nehemiah's eyes? No, just rubble. But you know what God says? God says, I see the walls. You know what I think he's saying about his remembrance of you? He's not looking at all those past mistakes that are already under the blood. He's looking at your potential. And he says, I know you look at your life. It seemed like such a rubble, but I look at your life and I see the walls continually. I see what I have planned for you, which leads us to this fourth observation. Do you ever feel discouraged because you assume that you're trapped in your current circumstance? You see, the fourth article the Lord submits as evidence of his unchanging love is this whole idea of plans and a future. His future plans for them, they demonstrated they were not forgotten. There they were in Babylon. They were there for in exile 70 years. God's people are over in exile. But they were not going to stay there because God had plans for them. They may have felt stuck. They may have felt trapped. They may have felt there's no way out of this one. But you know, God began to lay out his future from verse 17 all the way down through verse 23. His future included these kinds of things. Number one was victories. Do you know God's got victories for you just like he had victories for them? Your builders make haste. God was already looking down the road and saying, they're going to rebuild Jerusalem. Do you know that God can rebuild your life? Maybe you say, it's all in shambles. God, God can send the people that will help rebuild. If no one else, Christ is great at transformation. But notice also he says, I'm going to get rid of those destroyers. You know, there's destroyers in the lives of men and women, boys and girls, students. There are things that destroy lives, not build them. But God says, we're going to do some victories. The other thing I noticed was it's going to take spiritual eyes to see this vision, vision of your future. He says, lift up your eyes around and see. See, sometimes we just can't see because we're looking with our physical eyes. And God is calling us to look with spiritual eyes. What is he going to do in the future? And then there's the verification of how do you even know it's going to happen? How would they even know it was going to happen? Well, God, whenever he says, surely, you can count on it. When he says, surely, twice, you know you can count on it. Look at verse 19. Surely, your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely, now, you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. Oh, yeah. He's giving you the verification of the future. He's letting you know this is going to take place in your life. Just like, you know, whenever he says that the work he began in you, he's going to complete it. Don't give up. Don't despair. But notice there's variation in the future. You know, God's not going to continue to allow things to be the same way that they are now. Look at where they were. You know, I circled a bunch of words in mind, like in verse 17, your destroyers, those who laid you waste. Verse 19, your waste, your desolate places, your devastated land. 
those who swallowed you up. Your bereavement, verse 20, verse 21, I was bereaved and barren, exiled, put away, left alone. Don't you know God was saying, I'm just about to flip it. I'm just about to flip this whole thing. I can bring freshness into your life. I can bring variation into your future. It's all about to change when God steps in. Corey Tinboom said she had been, you remember, in a prison camp, Nazi concentration camp. But Corey Tinboom said, with Jesus, even in our darkest moments, the best remains, and the very best is yet to be. Wow. You know, the Jewish people, if you read their history, they went through so much across the years, over and over again, so much pain, so much suffering from so many different sources. But the Lord also has vindication in the future. Vindication. Have you been wronged? Have you ever seen anybody wronged? Who's going to ever set that right? Just wait and see. Just wait and see. Here's what he told them. He said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the people. I don't know if he whistled. Did your dad ever, my dad could whistle and man, you could hear it like two miles away. I thought, what in the world? It deafens me. I don't know how he's going to signal, but he's going to raise my signal to the peoples and they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers with their faces to the ground. They shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Why? Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's why. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. That's a key thing, you know. If God's got a future plan, it means it's not happening right now. So give him time. Trust him. Wait on him. He's not forgotten you. Let me give you one last thing. The Lord knows that if we doubt his attention, if we feel he's totally forgotten us, if we doubt his attention, that we're also maybe going to question his ability. And we're going to say, can he even really? Yeah, maybe he remembers me, but he can't do anything. Oh, really? He is called the Almighty, right? Almighty God. You read from verse 24, 25, 26, and I'll tell you what he's saying. In a nutshell, in verse 25, he says, for I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I've had, I've had people share in testimony times. They, they underline that. I will save your children. They've been praying for God to save their children, their grandchildren. And they said, now I heard him say it to my heart. But here's the thing I think God is saying. I will fight for you. I will fight for you. You know, the amazing rescue of the Jews from Babylon. Have you ever read that? Sometime read the historical accounts of how Babylon, I mean, it was like a fortress. There's one Greek historian who said that the walls around Babylon were 56 miles long, 80 feet thick. How thick is 80 feet thick? Man, then they were 320 feet high. 320 feet high? Wow. Now, that's a place you would think nobody's getting in there. When they close the gates, 
Nobody can climb that wall. Nobody can bust through that one. You know what they did? Cyrus the Great had an idea. And I think the idea came from God. And I think the whole reason was to rescue the Jews. He diverted the waters of the Euphrates River. And so the soldiers were able to go under where the water came through the city. The water went down to maybe around knee high, something like that. So the Persian soldiers of Cyrus the Great entered into Babylon and attacked from within. And they sacked it in one day. Read the book of Daniel, Belshazzar. Were you on guard, Belshazzar? He was the king of Babylon at that time. Now, he wasn't, a, he wasn't on guard. They were throwing a big party. A lot of different dancing and wine and all these things. But God rescued the Jews. I like, I like a song by Zach Williams. He says, you're my rescue story. Because see, I was like in a prison when I was in high school, when I was going to my first year of uh, college, and I couldn't get out. But you know what? God came through. He came and broke down the gates. He came and rescued me. So when I hear Zach Williams sing that song, you are my rescue story, I think, yeah. I just encourage you, if you like to follow up on messages, would you read Zephaniah? It'll take you 30 minutes to find it. So just look in the table of contents and find Zephaniah, not Zechariah, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20, because what it says is, he has cleared away your enemies. And man, God cleared away my enemies. And he said, we're going out of here because I'm setting you free. And he can set you free. That's why another great song I like by Riley Clemens says, you will never stop fighting for me. You will never stop fighting for me. I like what Romans 8.31 reminds us. It says, if God's for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he is for you. He will fight for you. When Jesus went to the cross, you won't believe the spiritual warfare that he encountered to pay for our salvation. It is true that the Lord is not going to forget you, but there's one thing he will forget. That's right. There's one thing he chooses to forget. He will not remember anymore. You know what it is? Your sins. Isaiah says in another location, not in chapter 49, but in chapter 43, verse 25, he said, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I mean, it must be something God really wanted to say because he gave the same kind of words to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Wow. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 8:12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 10, 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. See, when the enemy tries to condemn you, when your own heart tries to condemn you and you've already put something under the blood, you just memorize those verses and say, he said, he will remember my sins no more. Will you come to Christ this morning and allow the Lord to cleanse you? 
Oh, let me tell you, he will remember you, but he will remember your sins no more. The last thing that anybody would want to hear when they stand in eternity before God would be these horrifying words. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, God, once he knows you, he knows you forever. But there's some people, he says, we've never been introduced. It doesn't take much. Since Jesus did the heavy lifting on the cross and paid for our sins on the cross, his royal blood, perfect blood, it doesn't take much. Like the thief, remember what he said. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe that somebody here may need to ask the Lord, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Let's stand together. I want to pray and then we'll extend an invitation. You come if the Lord speaks to your heart. Lord, we've looked in your word today and it's just unbelievable. Out of all the people that may have forgotten about us as we've gone through our lives, maybe we've been betrayed, we've been forsaken, but you said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You said, I will not forget you. It's so clear. It's right there in your word. And so, Lord, if there's somebody here today, they don't know you and you and that person have not been introduced, I pray that today they would come to know you as Lord and Savior so that you would be able to say to them, I remember your sins no more. Thank you for this time to look at it together. And thank you for this invitation. You draw people to yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.